0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We finally made it. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we explain it. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the end of Kingdom Hearts Month. That's right, boys and girls, we have officially made it. Uh, it's been a very long wait, but uh, it is finally here. Kingdom Hearts 3 drops uh, as of this recording tomorrow. Uh, we're doing a late. Uh, kind of a uh, late-night release Monday night. We're recording this on the Monday before uh, it drops on the 28th, and I am stupid excited. Um, I'm recording this a little bit early, just so for the next couple days I am just going to be neck-deep in uh, in Kingdom Hearts 3 as of the, uh, the official release of this, since it's going to be coming out on Wednesday like we do every week. Um... I will have already been two days in on Kingdom Hearts 3 and I am just, man, I'm so excited. Uh, I've been, We've been waiting for, and someone brought this up to me the other day, we've been waiting for 13 years since Kingdom Hearts 2 for this game to come out. Kingdom Hearts 2, if you can believe it, came out all the way back in 2006. And uh, this has been a long, agonizing wait. And uh, I'm just, I'm excited for it to be here. There's been a lot of news recently uh, about like leaks and all that stuff, and it sucks. Um, a lot of the uh, leakers have been just running rampant on uh, YouTube and Instagram and Twitter, and it's been uh, it's been hard to avoid spoilers. I've almost been spoiled on a few different occasions by stuff that would just pop up in my YouTube feed because I, you know, would watch Kingdom Hearts videos, and uh, their algorithm would just pop up, hey, you might be interested in these spoilers for Kingdom Hearts. So um, it's been difficult and I've had to uh, pretty much just keep myself away from, uh, from anything YouTube related, which sucks because I do enjoy watching YouTube videos. But I am so excited that I kept myself, uh, spoiler free, I'm very, very excited to jump into the game. I uh, go to work tonight and then once I get out I'm heading straight to GameStop where I will be picking up my copy of Kingdom Hearts 3 and I will be playing it until the cows come home and probably after they come home as well so before I get to that however uh, we need to handle some business here um, we have been rolling Kingdom Hearts Month on our podcast for the entire month of January uh, every week has been dedicated to Kingdom Hearts in the lead up to the release of Kingdom Hearts 3 and. After pretty much jumping through every single kind of topic you can talk about when it comes to Kingdom Hearts, going through every single game by release date, uh, having a long-spirited, as I call it, giant-sized discussion with uh, good buddy Damien Garcia last week on our favorite Kingdom Hearts moments in the entire series. I realized there, is, uh, there was still one more week left in January, or one more episode left for uh, January, and I didn't really know what it was gonna be until someone gave me the idea, hey, you should rank the Kingdom Hearts games. And I don't normally like doing rankings, because I feel like a lot of uh, rankings are subjective, a lot of opinions are subjective when it comes to these things, and um, I just I wasn't sure how I was going to go about it, but I sat down with the games. I went over all of the games that I played in this series in the lead-up to Kingdom Hearts 3, and I settled on that. I settled on that is what we are going to be discussing today. We're going to be ranking... All nine of the Kingdom Hearts games uh, from worst to best and we are gonna be just shotgunning them Um, I've got kind of a format set up Uh, I'm gonna be pretty much just going over the pros and cons for each game Uh, just one by one by one ranking them from nine which is gonna be the worst all the way to one which is gonna be in my view the best a lot of factors are gonna go into this as well. Uh, we're gonna be talking about like the length of the game, the overall length of the game, uh, story relevance, whether the game had an impact on the story in a uh, big way or not, uh, fun factor because what's the point of playing these games if you don't have fun? Uh, Evolving gameplay as well. Uh, I know there's a lot of, when you go through a series of games, especially when you start hitting up like seven, eight, nine games in a series, you start to, um, at least in my case, you start to get kind of bored if the gameplay stays the same, if it stays stagnant. And so I'm looking for if the games are fun to play if they bring something new to the formula. And I'm also going to be looking at the pick-up-and-play factor. Can you pick this up whether you have a base knowledge or little to no knowledge of Kingdom Hearts and just pick it up and have a good time with it? Um, Again, these are my picks. These are subjective picks. Uh, If my picks different differ from your picks feel free to let me know uh, you can reach out to us at Pod on Twitter that's at P O D. feel free to let me know there I would love to have these kind of conversations with you guys uh, talking about where you place the games in that order and um, one thing I do have to point out because if you noticed I said 9 games not 10 games And uh, this game isn't, or this list is not going to include Kingdom Hearts 3. Just for the sole factor of I haven't played it yet. So it's not going to factor in for me once I do play it and we get that full episode out, which is going to be a while. I don't want to get your hopes up that, like, hey, next week is going to be Kingdom Hearts 3. I'm going to take my time with this game because I have been waiting for it for so long. And whenever I do finish the game, get the episode all done i will probably see where it fits within this list but for now we're just going to be looking at the first nine games in the series and ranking them from best to worst Uh, i didn't feel right uh including a game that i haven't played yet and that i don't really have any kind of opinion on other than excitement for its release so yeah that is the uh it's kind of the rules introduction for this list so I'm really excited. Again, feel free to let me know if you're uh, if you have any different picks than I do. But um, after going through the whole series, I feel pretty confident in uh, where I placed everybody. So uh, we will go ahead and jump into the rankings, starting with number nine here. At number nine, we have Kingdom Hearts coded. So. A lot of stuff went into this game, um, and we didn't really get a lot out of it, I think, honestly. The game itself doesn't have a whole lot of story relevance. I mean, it's really just a game about what is the letter that King Mickey sends to Sora at the end of Kingdom Hearts 2. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, we could have had just a... uh, 5 minute cutscene explaining this we didn't need a game that overall didn't really have a whole lot of substance to it Um, a lot of that also goes into the fact that this game was a it kind of fell into the um, the pattern, the pitfall of being a retread of Kingdom Hearts 1 now I love the first Kingdom Hearts game as much as the next person but I don't need to play through the game again with different um, gameplay elements but essentially the same story like the game is mostly you're playing as data Sora going through all the same worlds that you went through in the first game that you've already played except you're fighting bugs and you're expanding upon the story that is probably one of the most confusing in the entire series uh, the gameplay was also lacking um, a lot of it went into just Um, these weird debugging minigames that didn't really I don't think really added anything to the series Uh, the plot was just confusing and it went back and forth there was a lot of backtracking and with all the stuff with the data journal and like it's a cool idea of digitizing the events of the journal and then that possibly linking to the book of prophecies later on but like Again, I feel like we could have done this and made all those connections with a even like a fifteen-minute like short movie cutscene. Um, there's also a lot of weird translation issues, like the whole idea of hurt. I know, like as a concept, it makes sense, but when they're talking about in the uh, English translation, how it's like you think you can handle all of this hurt. It just, it sounds bad, it sounds wrong. And I don't know why they couldn't have just said pain or anguish or sorrow or words that can be used that don't sound as awkward. Um, And then also it was, for me, there was a lot of missed opportunities with the game. Um, You could have, taken this game and made it the first and only game in the series where you play as mickey this is supposed to be mickey's story of why he's sending this letter to sora what's kicking off the final stretch of this story and yet we settled into a younger dumber version of sora again and i didn't enjoy it it wasn't a uh wasn't a particularly gripping story um I liked certain aspects of it. There were certain moments like the uh, the confrontation with Data Roxas, though, again, why would he be in the journal if, if uh, Jiminy never met him? So there's just there's a lot of things wrong with this game, and I don't really think that it really needed to exist, honestly. It didn't need to be part of the series when we could have told this story in a lot shorter time so number eight we have kingdom hearts key slash uh unchained key slash union cross and as much as there is for this game um after going through it and you can kind of tell when you go through our episode on the game it's just too long it's too long the game is too too long for what they're trying to tell um i get it the keyblade war is a big event um it's important for the overarching uh story for the entire series but if you're going to tell this much story because they don't just tell the story of the keyblade war if they to- just told the story of the keyblade war they could have easily made it the back cover movie that's all they needed and that's why i think when they released the kingdom hearts 2.8 they just said let's take all the important bits Put them in a uh, CGI movie and people will get the picture. But it's all of this stuff, all of this stuff that doesn't need to be in there. And you took all of these story beats that are supposedly very important for the story and you put them on a mobile title. You put them on a mobile title that not everyone in your fandom is going to play just for the simple fact of the idea that it's a mobile title. And I get the draw from it you want to be part of a great community, which most of Kingdom Hearts fans are. Uh, You want to create your own Keyblader. You want to traverse those worlds. Tell your own story. That's great. I get it. I get it. I get it. I do. Um, But then make, make an MMO. Make it like make it a full-on like console like kingdom hearts online or something like that don't put it on a mobile title that you have to grind and do all this stuff for a fraction of a story that you have to play through over 200 chapters to get a full story that you could just listen to on youtube for an hour or listen to our episode episode 38 check that out where you just, you know the story isn't gonna be finished. And that's another big thing is the story is not over. The story is a large sprawling mess that we're not even gonna get answers to until Kingdom Hearts 3. This game was written at the same time as Kingdom Hearts 3. The sequence of events and everything are tied heavily to that game. And so the idea that we are gonna be Getting these questions and getting these um, overarching themes that we're really not going to get answers to unless you play another game is really, I don't know, it doesn't sit well with me. Um, the timeline is also stupid confusing. Uh, <laughs> I don't need to tell you that, but like when you're popping up and you're running into like Donald and Goofy for some reason, um, which does get explained, of course, later on, but then you're also like meeting people like ventus and marluxia and larkseen characters who could not possibly have existed at this point in the series because it takes takes place hundreds of years in the past there's literally no way that these people would exist and it again doesn't give you answers for why they're there um And I mean, the game is constantly getting updates every couple months, so you're getting pieces of the story, but we're on the precipice of this game, of Kingdom Hearts 3, the culmination of all of these um, story threads, including in this game. And the questions and the conclusions to your story in this game won't even be answered, because there's still story to be explored in Union Cross. So that's just a little frustrating. Um, for Positives again, good community. Uh, I like the idea of being able to create your own keyblader even with a limited um, customization. And the, the game recently over the past year introduced Classic Kingdom which I was a huge fan of. I really enjoyed it. Um, kind of playing those Game & Watch style games and it gives you if you complete them all up to a certain point gives you a code that you can use to unlock the Starlight Keyblade in Kingdom Hearts 3. I'm a big fan of the Starlight Keyblade, so I I really enjoyed that aspect of it. But for this game, it's too long for too little. And that brings us to number 7, which is Kingdom Hearts 0.2 A Fragmentary Passage, the newest game in the series, uh, before Kingdom Hearts 3, of course. So my biggest pitfall with this game is it's too short. Um, I know that like you can, if you go back and you uh, try to get achievements, you want to get all the customization stuff, you can um, stretch the game out to like 10 hours. But for me, I was able to complete the game in right around three to four hours, which is fine. But um, I don't know, I, I just I wanted more out of it. I wanted more from the game, and when it comes to the customization, Um, It was kind of weak, personally. It was a lot of just accessories on top of her, uh, on top of Aqua's clothing. You do play as Aqua, which is one of my favorite characters. But, um, yeah, the customization wasn't great. I mean, it it was a fine first step into the customization, but I think they could have done a lot more with it if they were going to go that route. Also, the battles get really repetitious. You uh, (laughs) You face the same boss, I think, like four times throughout the game, which, like, I get it. They're not trying to put too much when it comes to um uh different assets into the game but i just i would have liked more varied combat um and it still left me with a lot of questions for the overall like her story like so there's a moment in the, uh, near the end of the game where she's fighting the demon tower for what had to be like the 50th time and then all of a sudden like we skip to What is probably like a year? Two years later, and we don't know how she got there. We don't know how she's been surviving this whole time I get that time moves differently there, but I also would have liked to know how exactly Mickey got into the Dark Realm in the first place, how he got the idea to do that, where he heard of this uh, Kingdom Key D. A lot of questions that I think they could have taken the time to answer if they didn't, um, I don't know, try to rush out the story so much. Uh, On the plus side, though, the graphic overhaul was beautiful. The game is the prettiest up until that point in the series. Um, It's that big jump from uh, console generation to console generation and it shows. Uh, and you could tell that they were still like trying to figure things out because if you look at that as opposed to a lot of the most recent Kingdom Hearts trailers, uh, there's been a big improvement there as well. So you knew that they were just going to keep getting better and better when it comes to those graphics. Uh, for me though, I really, um, I really enjoyed the controls. Like the the most fun I had in that game was just with being able to play around as Aqua with her move set. Uh, with her commands, jumping around, um, using like the double glide ability, uh, or it's probably not called double glide, I can't remember, but like her basically, like her uh, her double jump ability. Um, just the traversal that I'm expecting is only going to get better in Kingdom Hearts 3, and overall this had a really, even though I did have problems with the stuff they left out, Uh, The story itself, for what they wanted to tell, was very concise. It told you exactly what you needed to do. Um, And it had a really nice uh, come-around, a really nice uh, tie-in with the first game. So, And for me, when it comes to this game, their whole deal was like, this is basically a tech demo for Kingdom Hearts 3. And in that respect, I think it succeeded. Uh, coming up to number six, we have Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. Uh, there were a couple times where this game moved up and moved down in this list, but uh, settled right here, right outside the top five. Uh, mainly because, again, this falls into that trap of being a retread of Kingdom Hearts 1, in the fact that they... I get they were trying to tell a story and they didn't really think that the worlds were important, but when it comes to the Kingdom Hearts series, the worlds are almost as important as the overarching story, and the fact that this game was a retread of Kingdom Hearts 1 playing almost all of the same uh, worlds from that game, it was not great. Um, Also, the introduction of the card system uh, was not really well received. For me, I had a lot of problems with it. Uh, The fact that they were, I get that they were trying to try something new, um, but I just, I don't think that it landed as um, nicely as they would have wanted it to, and I think that's a big reason why we haven't seen it since. I know they were trying something different, and they uh, maybe were testing something out to see if they could use it for later, but it hasn't come back since, and I think the uh, overall fan reaction to it is a big reason why. Also, um, source characterization really bothered me in this game. Uh, there are many times where you observed him doing stuff or saying stuff that I think went completely against his character. Uh, I get that the whole story is that he's losing his memories, so he's starting to lose a bit of himself. But there were times where he was just a straight up dick to uh, Donald Duck and Goofy and he was also very dumb and it really it kind of started this downward trend of Sora's uh, maturity level. And I didn't like how, um, just how angry he was a lot. And that's not really Sora's character. Like, I get he gets uh, angered about different stuff, but it's more of a, um, it's more of like a heroic, like, I'm angry about this because you are oppressing people and I'm going to stop you, not a, no one's listening to me, I'm getting frustrated, Uh, you know, screw you guys, I'm leaving, kind of anger and i didn't really like seeing that out of sora um on the plus side i have um funny enough the card system uh once you really get into it i know it was not well received even i've just said it's not well received but on my most recent playthrough of it i actually had a lot of fun putting my deck together learning different combinations using slights figuring out what deck best fit my play style and i think that really spoke to this idea of a true uh, action rpg where you get to shape your gameplay so i think that game did a very good job in putting you in the driver's seat of how you wanted your sword to control uh, also, the organization, the introduction of the organization, as and as later it would be known, Organization Thirteen, loved it. Loved all the characters that were introduced in there, even Vexen, <laughs> who I know is not a uh, fan favorite character per se, but just the idea of you're introducing—I think it was like six or seven—all new antagonists, and you had to correct. You had to really be careful about making all these characters feel different, not in just like their boss battles, but also in cutscenes and characterization. What separates uh, Lexaius from Marluxia? Like, stuff like that really... I'm a huge character guy, and I think that when they put these characters together, they really... Did a good job in putting them all in the same team, but making them varied enough that it didn't feel like you were just facing the same guy every time Um, And finally you get to play as Riku Uh, This was the first game in the series where you get to play as Riku, and I really enjoyed it for the most part Um, I liked the fact that at this point the game understands that you know how the game works you know how slights work, how card breaking works, and so they take a lot of the guesswork out of um, Riku's storyline. His storyline is considerably shorter than Sora's when it comes to uh, floor layouts as well as his deck. And I think that it makes sense. It makes sense for the character, and it gives you uh, just enough differences in Riku's playstyle that it doesn't just feel like you're playing Sora with a Riku skin on. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Number five, breaking into the top five here, we have Kingdom Hearts three, five eight days over two. Um, you know, I had this thought that I was going to put this at the number nine spot just for the title alone. And I almost did it. I almost did it, folks. I really almost did but I thought about it, I went over the game again, and I couldn't in good conscience, put it there Um, a negative of it definitely is the title I think it's a, uh, a deep kind of, I get what Nomura was trying to go for with the title, but it feels like one of those things where it's like, is that a translation issue? is that like something got lost in um, the conception to the release and the title just doesn't make sense i would have liked a more telling title um even some of the wackier games like dream drop distance or birth by sleep like those games they kind of the title kind of makes sense chain of memories um and this one just didn't really do it for me Uh, another thing i didn't really like was the grid system Um, I don't... God, it's been so long. I don't really remember if we talked about the grid system or not in the episode, but um, leveling up worked a little bit different than um, it had in past games. Uh, Past games, when it comes to abilities, you level up, you unlock new abilities, you uh, use AP, your ability points, to um, activate them for your character, so on and so forth. But uh, in 358, you actually had a grid... A character grid where you would place tiles that had these um, had these abilities and had these um, health boosts. If you wanted to level up your character, you had to get a specific level up tile and place it inside of your grid, which made absolutely no sense. And I just I couldn't for the life of me understand why they went that way. And again, it's one of those things where you don't see it again after this game because they realized that it wasn't working. Um, I also wasn't a huge fan of the mission-based setup. I get that that's how they were um, trying to tell the story, and they were also making it for a mobile uh, platform so you could take it with you when you go. Uh, I was on the 3DS originally, but it just—I remember playing it, and I, because uh, I. Actually played it through a through an emulator uh, way back when, and I remember just feeling very samey and very bored with the game halfway through. Uh, not because the story wasn't good, because the story was excellent, but uh, this really just if you try to just sit down and you know marathon a game like that, it just it gets really repetitive and really boring really easily. Um, I also didn't like that there weren't any really new worlds in the uh, in the story um as I said earlier I'm a stickler for worlds uh your the worlds that you introduce in the game are almost if not as important as the uh, storyline itself in those games so I really I really wanted um, a lot more from the worlds I get that they had to stick to what was, um, what was introduced in the first and second games but i feel like they could have introduced other worlds as well as just kind of like one-offs uh, for the positives though i actually have uh quite a few positives here which you will see in uh, as we go along in the list uh roxas man roxas is as good and a protagonist as sora if not better i love roxas as a character Uh, He's my favorite character in the series, and I really enjoyed seeing his story going from a lifeless puppet into trusted friend, into uh, a betrayer of the organization. It's really, it really is good. And speaking of the organization, another plus I have for it is the organization itself. You get to see the inner workings of the organization, which really wasn't expanded upon in uh, Chain of Memories and uh, Kingdom Hearts 2. You got to see all these characters. You got to see varied bits of how they interacted with each other, but not really on a level where you could see them working together. And this game did a really good job in um, in really focusing on the interpersonal relationships inside of the organization. You got a lot more backstory on axel and Psyx, you got um moments with each organization member when you went on missions with them and i really felt like this was a good characterization of these characters and then you also get like to see what's going on inside the organization while all of the events of chain of memories are going down where Sora is just cutting down members of the organization left and right in castle oblivion and everyone's like we don't know what's going on over there communications have gone dark so I really enjoyed that. The other part I really enjoyed is the uh, Roxas, Axel, and Xion relationship. Um, Kingdom Hearts loves doing their, uh, their three-man teams, uh, whether it's Sora, Kairi, Riku, Aqua, Terra, Ven, or here where we have Roxas, Axel, Shion um they they love having those teams and i can't argue with it because the formula works every single time uh their relationship and their friendship throughout all three of them is really really good and i really enjoyed it and it's again i'm a sucker for tragic stories and these three having this doomed friendship that you know will not end well especially because this is set before kingdom hearts 2 and we have no mention of xion whatsoever um, really drives this point home that this friendship is not meant to last. And with, uh, death scene, the moment earlier on in the game where Axel, you know, shouts out, um, you can run as much as you like, but I'll always bring you back. Like it's, it's tragic. And it really feeds into the overall theme of the kingdom Hearts series, which is the power of friendship. Um, I really just, the story in it is so good, and it really makes up for the lacking gameplay. Uh, This also includes Riku's story, because we had a lot of questions during Kingdom Hearts 2 on what happened to Riku in the year that Sora was asleep. I Honestly, I really think I could have done with a game, a full-on Riku game, of just dealing with his year while Sora was asleep. But um, getting his uh, kind of B storyline in this game was also really nice of him. Interacting with these characters, dealing with the darkness inside of him, and finally having that final battle with Roxas where he succumbs to the darkness inside of him was really good, and I really enjoyed it. Um, Another part that isn't really story-based, but I thought was a novel concept at the time, uh, playing as other characters. Once you beat... Certain missions, you are able to unlock and play as other members of the of the organization, as well as other characters in the game. You can unlock uh, Sora from Kingdom Hearts One. You can unlock King Mickey. You can unlock friggin' Donald and Goofy. You can go on a mission as Donald and just like fire off uh, thunder spells while your other party members need healing. Um, I'm not bitter, but I really I really enjoy that aspect of it, and it's a unique concept that I wish you could see in other games and we might we might i would love to uh beat kingdom hearts 3 and be able to you know run back through as a different character um obviously you know story stuff wouldn't really quite make sense but like i think it would be cool to do certain missions as other characters so this game really uh came through in that regard so going to number four number four is kingdom hearts dream drop distance uh dream drop distance was polarizing for a lot of people in a lot of ways for myself included uh there were a lot of things about the game that i liked a lot of things about the game that i wasn't too fond of um first and foremost being the ability system i wasn't a huge fan of locking abilities important abilities abilities like leaf bracer abilities like second chance once more um are offensive abilities like locking them behind having to take care of dream eaters which are basically tamagotchis so like you have to feed these things you have to take care of them you have to pet them you have to take them on walks like this whole deal of having to take care of these creatures like little virtual pets and not being able to access any of your abilities beyond that really sucked and i and I'm glad that that's something that isn't coming back. I like the concept of it, uh, having companions that can roll around with you like on missions and like attack things. But like, I don't know, I just I didn't really like it. and I think that leads into uh, my second negative, which is just too many concepts. They tried too many concepts at too many times when it comes to gameplay, when it comes to story. Uh, gameplay, I really enjoyed the flow motion. I liked the addition of that, but when they start adding in, um, flow motion plus, uh, dive mode plus dream eaters, it was just, it was too much included in the gameplay. And when it comes to story, we're also talking about including characters from the world ends with you, uh, jumping through dreams, whether these dreams are real or not, diving into other people's dreams. It's just, it was very high concept. And I think this late in the game, um, We've dealt with a lot of weird concepts already, so adding in a bunch of this stuff right before you're going to be releasing the final game in this saga, this stretch of the story, I think was really um, not great. Uh, and I spoke on it already but the Dream Eaters I just wasn't a fan of I wasn't a fan of taking care of these guys and having to grind for them and having to hunt them down just so I could just so I could have freaking Sonic Blade which has been a staple of the franchise and you like I don't know you have to go hunting for these for these animals that you then have to train up and level them up alongside Sora and it's just it was a lot Um, and I mentioned it already but dive mode I could not stand dive mode um i would honestly i would i would honestly rather have gummy ships than dive mode i know that that's a controversial uh controversial opinion but i really did not enjoy the dive mode it was a cool concept but once you're um still tacking on metals like you did for gummy ships and you have to uh fit in like a certain time limit when you as a character can only fall so fast in the game itself like just just do gummy ships like it's not i don't know i didn't like it what i did like though as i mentioned just a second ago is flow motion i really liked flow motion and the fact that they continued it on into 0.2 where they had aqua use a bit of it as well I think is really uh, is really good, and the fact that that's actually being carried over into Kingdom Hearts 3, I think is excellent as well. Um, flow motion just adds a whole different rhythm. The, uh, the addition to combat really made this game feel different, and combat felt fast-paced and frantic, and you really feel like you're in the middle of a fight. And I really enjoyed it the different um, being able to throw enemies was really great. I really enjoyed the feeling of that um, I also really like the worlds that they introduced here. These are all new worlds, which is again what I can really uh, dig into new worlds that we haven't seen before with the exception of uh, the world that never was And it gives you all of these new opportunities to interact with characters that we haven't seen before. Quasimodo, you deal with uh, Mickey on a couple occasions, both in the Musketeer world and in the um, Fantasia world. I really enjoyed those. Jumping, even though it was uh, kind of uh, space paranoid still, jumping into the grid and saying how much time has passed and what's done there. Like, I really i just i love new worlds when they're introduced and that's why i'm really excited for all the new worlds that are going to be popping up in kingdom hearts 3 um i also loved riku's story in this i am on record if you listen to our dream drop distance uh episode as saying that he should have been the main character of the story and he effectively was but they tried to market it as oh there's two main characters but this game really was riku's story jumping into Sora's dreams um ending up being his dream eater and really getting to rescue him at the end and becoming a keyblade master even though for most of the game he spends it being so down on himself about how he's fallen to darkness before how he is um Still vulnerable to the darkness, but overcoming that and being able to rescue his best friend is just ah man. Like it's it's the kind of story that you want to root for, and he's the kind of character that you can get behind and really want to see succeed. So I really enjoyed that. And finally, I have on my notes that fight, which means um, the fight against uh, Young Zaneor at the end. Uh, it was difficult. It was frustrating. Uh, But it was everything you could have asked for for a final boss and the moment and I've said this before I'll say it again the moment where you beat him and he you suddenly hear him say stop and then it rewinds to the beginning of the fight uh, there's just, there's no words to describe that feeling. I have never seen something like that before, where he was essentially exploiting what you exploit every time you're in a boss battle and you die, and you just hit reset. There he is again. And it just, I. Man, like, it was so cool. It's such a great concept playing with this idea of time and uh, them introducing time travel, which was a confusing concept. Um, To go to my point earlier, but I just, I really, really enjoyed that fight. And overall, I enjoyed this game more than I thought I was going to. Number three, as we get into our home stretch here, number three is the one that started it all. Number three is Kingdom Hearts 1. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 1 started everything off back in 2002. It has been 17 years since that game first hit store shelves. And I will let you know, I still love it. I still really, really love it. Um, There's a reason that this series has had so much goodwill, even with all of the um, side stories that happen, even with the delays of Kingdom Hearts 3. There's a reason that people keep coming back for more and all of that started with this game. Uh, I'm going to knock out my negatives first just so I can start gushing about this game. Um, First negative, poor platforming. Uh, (laughs) This is something that they have gotten a lot better with over time and that they've really kind of... I think, uh, shied away from as the series progressed. But the platforming in this game is not great. They really wanted this game to be a platformer. They have a lot of uh, jumping on platforms. They have a lot of um, balancing stuff. And Sora, with the clunky, uh, not-as-fluid gameplay that he now currently gets to enjoy... He would miss jumps like that all the time. You'd be going through, like... Prime example. You go and you're having a race with Riku near the beginning of the game, and there's a point where you have to jump on these platforms, and if you miss a single platform, you're done for the race, you lose the race, period. And there were moments like in Monstro, like you miss a jump and you get, you know, transported three different rooms away. Uh, For Nightmare Before Christmas, Halloween Town. You are trying to jump up these platforms on top of Boogie's hideout, and you miss a jump, you fall all the way down to the bottom of the map, and you have to work your way back up. It was just... it was not good. Um, also, the Gummy Ships... Gummy Ships, awful. They've always been bad. They've just always been bad. But they were never worse than they were in the very first game. Um, this weird, like, Galaga wannabe going through... Um, from world to world you you get a certain amount of customization just fine but like it's just it's boring it's a boring transition from world to world and uh one of the things that i've heard is uh a big improvement in kingdom hearts 3 is the uh gummy gummy ship section so i'm interested to see where that goes Uh, and finally it's really it's showing its age uh whether it is the awful plural platforming the gummy ships um some of the old school hardware even the hd remix that they did for the uh, collections on playstation 4 as remastered as they are you see a lot of uh room where the uh developer square enix knew that they would have to get better at if they wanted this series to succeed and thankfully it has succeeded but um a lot of the old school stuff that they have in this game, whether it comes to the graphics, the voice acting, what have you, uh, really reminds you that this game was originally made in the early 2000s. But for Positives, um, it's an excellent introduction to the series. And of course, because it is the first game, it kind of had to be. But even now, jumping in, even with the fact that it is showing its age and um, it's not as uh, technologically flashy as the rest of the games in the series um it's still a game that you can pick up and enjoy right there um it is the best blend i think of disney and final fantasy worlds that we've seen so far uh all of the final fantasy characters that are featured have an importance in the story uh leon and crew when you get to meet cloud in olympus coliseum one of my favorite cameos in the series. Um, it's really, you really get to have these characters who have an active, um, have an active influence in your story. You have a team that is working with you, even though they can't traverse as many worlds as you can, uh, actively working towards trying to help you. And it really makes you feel like part of a, part of a group, part of a family that are trying to fight the darkness, which I really enjoyed. Uh, there weren't really any, um... Kingdom Hearts Worlds though at the time uh, I mean I guess you can count Bastion, but at the time we didn't really know that it was supposed to be Radiant Garden but um, just the inclusion of all the characters and this was really the best I think uh, at blending those two I mean just having Cloud in the game working off of the chemistry he has with Hades I thought was great and I really like the fact that you get to see Disney characters interact with Final Fantasy characters, which you don't really get to see in a whole lot of the other games in the series. And I God, I hope that we get some of that in Kingdom Hearts 3, because we are all coming together. Um, and maybe it's because they were trying to lean too hard on the Final Fantasy characters because they didn't really have characters that they had created that were established. But I just... I don't know. I really... The whole draw of it initially was kingdom hearts is final fantasy plus disney Uh, there's also there's no unnecessary padding um you see through some of the games later on in the series where you have to uh, go through a world two or three times and yeah it's fine because they give you new story to go through these worlds with but you're still going through the same worlds, fighting the same enemies multiple times. And this game, um, like a couple of the games in the series, you only go through the game, the story. You only go through the worlds once. Uh, you play the story, you move on, and also the boss fights. I really thought that at this point. Um, in my young gaming career uh, the, Some of the boss fights here Were some of the most inventive And really interesting boss fights That I'd ever seen uh, The boss fight with uh, Clayton And the kind of like uh, Chameleon Heartless In uh, Deep Jungle I thought was really nice Really inventive You had to find him You had to track the beams from his eyes To be able to attack him And um, and just all the stuff with uh, Antisora, the battles with Riku, as frustrating as they were, uh, the multiple and some uh, kind of you know final uh, battle, I thought was really good, and I really enjoyed um, getting to see all of these battles and the way that you would have to kind of change up your playing style to ultimately succeed in them. Um, and yeah, overall the game was just a breath of fresh air at the time, and getting to play through it again for this series was a complete joy. Whew, and now we come to, uh, the the top two. I will say that the top two traded places multiple times. They made trade places multiple times again following this. But, um, this was really tough. Uh, all of the other games coming up to this... I kind of knew that uh, these two games would be in the top two but it was really tough to decide a winner between them but uh, ultimately it came down to a couple different um, factors and that uh, is a couple different factors that um, really made one game tighter, made one game more appealing, and made one more game, honestly, uh, more fun to play. And that is why in the number two slot, I think appropriately, is Kingdom Hearts 2. Kingdom Hearts 2, what can you say? It's one of the best games in the series. It had inventive gameplay, inventive combat, the just, the sharp contrast to the form of the game was incredible. The inclusion of the organization as the antagonists was a was a great great pull, uh, showing off these varied characters that you really didn't know a whole lot about, but showing that the events of Chain of Memories really mattered, and making it so that these characters were the best antagonists in the series, and that's why a lot of them are coming back for Kingdom Hearts 3. Also Roxas. This is where you get introduced to Roxas. You get to find out about his tragic story. You get to uh, live part of his life. Um, I will never forget booting up the game and playing as Roxas and being like, what is going on? Where's Sora? Uh, But I really just, I loved getting to meet him, getting to just know his story, and seeing how it all kind of concluded with uh, finally reuniting with Sora at the end. Also, reaction commands, big change-up. Really kind of shaped the way that the rest of the games would treat a lot of their gameplay, Uh, whether they stuck with the reaction commands or they built off of it. Reaction commands made uh, boss battles more dynamic, made just combat in general more dynamic uh, with creating these moments that you could Uh, they were essentially QuickTime events before quick time events were like the commonplace. Uh, reaction commands were fantastic. Drive forms, drive forms are some of my favorite, uh, drive form. The idea, the concept behind a drive form is probably one of my favorite aspects of the series in general. Uh, giving you these four, four, I think it's four. One, two, I I think it's four. I'm going to stick with four. Um, Oh, plus any form. Um, giving you these four different play styles, whether you wanted to be more magic based, whether you wanted to be more uh, just hack and slash based, whether you wanted to be a combination of both. Like getting to find a drive form that fit your play style and getting to level it up, and those level ups uh, directly impacting base Sora, whether it's giving him more abilities, more health, uh, giving him more uh, time to be in the drive forms, I thought was great. Limits also made their big debut in this game, uh, getting to kind of build off of the whole um, the whole Trinity limit, uh, ability in the first game, you got limits with companion members. You got limits with Donald, limits with Goofy, limits with both, limits with all of your other companions that you would find throughout the games. The uh, the uh, limit with Orin from Final Fantasy X in uh, Olympus Coliseum's Underworld is one of my favorites of all time. Also, the limit with Riku. I mean, you got all of these ways where again building your party mattered because that impacted the limits that you could create. And sometimes those limits would save your ass in the middle of a boss fight. When you're on low health, these limits give you invincibility frames. They allow you to inflict a lot of damage, a lot of um, area of effect damage. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, Also, we talked about Riku's story in past games. Uh, Riku's redemption in this was great. Him kind of starting off as having succumbed to the darkness in his heart and taking the form of handsome seeker of darkness and getting to kind of fight his way back into the light and at the end when he has regained his normal form and he's unable to create uh, doors to darkness anymore was a great shout, a great moment and him coming together with Sora to fight the last battle I thought was a a fitting way to finish off the game you also get to play as Mickey uh, Mickey Mouse is just um, a delight to play as he's, I've said it before he's the Yoda of the Kingdom Hearts series playing as him, uh, I remember coming across the first time I was fighting Zaldin in Beast's Castle uh, and I died and then Mickey showed up clad in his black coat and he just, you got to or he might not have been in his black coat at that point Anyway, um, getting to play as him flipping around, healing Sora, uh, his combos are ridiculous, but getting to play as him was great. And then also his impact on the story, getting to really finally interact with Mickey uh, outside of just the little bit you got to see of him at the end of Kingdom Hearts 1 and then the very minor... uh, impact he had on riku's story in chain of memories really getting to dive into what his responsibilities are his keyblade how he views the world the fact that no matter what happens uh no matter what he's doing if danger calls he just goes running off uh was great and i really enjoyed it Uh, another thing the final thing i really enjoyed was uh the expanded lore uh really building off of everything that had come before and giving you questions that i mean some of them we won't be getting answers to until Kingdom Hearts 3, but just supplying all of this great fan service, and I'm a huge lore guy, and being able to really uh, experience all the expanded lore that they brought up you know, Ansem is not who we thought he was, he was actually Xehanort and getting to see the progression of that Adding in nobodies to kind of be the opposite to the heartless, I thought was really good, and it really made um, mob enemies feel new uh, in that world. But I just I loved a lot of this game, uh, but there were some things I wasn't a big fan of, and that's what ultimately got it into the uh, into the number two slot. Uh, that includes Atlantica. Atlantica, the Little Mermaid's world, was a complete waste of time in this game. Um, it's essentially just a musical world with quick-time events. I did not enjoy it um, every time you're trying to complete the game. And I, I, I platinumed this game. I, sh- I shouldn't have. I platinumed it uncritical. I could not stand going back there every time that I had to go back there. It was just, it was a waste of time. Again, it was needlessly padding out uh, the length of the game. And that just segues into my next part, is padded worlds. Uh, For a lot of the games, you only have to go to a world once. For Kingdom Hearts 2, you you would do a full round of the worlds, then you would head back to either Radiant Garden or Twilight Town, and then you'd have to go through them all over again. And while, again, you get to experience new stories in these worlds, it's the same enemies and the same maps, and it really, I think, hurt the concise storytelling that other games uh, benefit from. And also, I mean, lack of Final Fantasy involvement. We did get a uh, a nice little um, fighting alongside moment during the, I guess, the siege of Radiant Garden where you got to run through kind of this uh, mountain corridor where every little while you'll team up with a different Final Fantasy member, which was fine. But you didn't really get to experience as much of uh, Final Fantasy characters having an impact on the overall story. Um, Leon and the rest of his team were sidelined for most of this game, and they didn't really have a whole lot of agency that they really did in the first game. And I really... I missed that. Um, also, the Gummy Ships, man. Uh, the Gummy Ships made a large improvement over the first game, but they're still, like, they they were unnecessary. And um, especially when I had to go back in platinum this game, playing through Gummy Missions multiple times made me just sick of seeing Gummy Ships. More so than I already was before um also uh, and this is weird i have because i have the uh my notes with uh, pluses for positives and minuses for negatives and i have a big fat question mark next to the prologue uh, Roxas's prologue going through the final week of his summer vacation uh, a lot of people hate it i loved it i really enjoyed it because a lot of um just getting to settle into this world you get you got to play a little bit through twilight town in chain of memories but you didn't really get to experience what the world was all about so i really enjoyed that in the prologue also of course roxas you get to play as roxas throughout the entire prologue you get to see his tragic story become more tragic as he realizes his entire life has been a lie um i just i really man i really enjoyed it uh and also a youtuber brought this up and i thought this was a really good shout um it kind of represents everything that we were doing as fans of the series waiting for Kingdom Hearts 2. You know, hanging out with friends, doing jobs, um, just passing the time until the next game came out. The next game was to start. So I really enjoyed it. A lot of people didn't, so I have it in kind of like a mid-range thing. But um, I have one final positive, actually, and I think... I am... Yeah, I'm going to talk about it here. Uh, the secret boss. The secret boss to this game, the Lingering Will, is one of the greatest bosses I have ever played against. Um, at times, uh, those of you who uh, know me well, uh, I get... I am a little quick to anger. I... Uh, it's been better i've gotten better at it but um things really get under my skin pretty easily and uh that includes boss fights that i don't um that i have to really work at and that i die a couple times i have to kind of take a step away just because i'll get angry about it and frustrated but this was the only boss that i could that i can think off the top of my head where i actively enjoyed getting to play against him even though i I had to have died in the like double digits amount of times but i enjoyed every single moment because this was a boss that that kind of progressed with you as soon as you felt like you had a handle on what he was doing he would whip out something else it it, honestly it felt like you were playing against another player it felt like you were playing it felt like you were battling against another player live and it i really enjoyed it i thought it was incredible and i'm hoping to see more of him in kingdom hearts 3 And of course, now that we have all of those games placed in all of those spots, you know which game this is. Number one, a lot of you probably knew this was coming, but number one is Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Uh, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep is, in my view, the best game of the series. It is a perfection of the formula. It is not without its faults but it is a game that gets what the series about and it is a game that is more than happy to continue to move the story forward Uh, i'll knock out the negatives first because i want to get to the positives as quickly as possible but um big negative was the command board uh i don't think that you should have to play monopoly to gain some of the best uh commands in the game but i ended up You know, I will not lie to you, I ended up enjoying the command board once you get a handle of it. Uh, It doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you first start playing it, but when you get a handle on it and you get a feeling for how the game works, how your character works within it, uh, you can get a lot of high-value commands fairly early on in the game. So I ended up actually enjoying it, but I will say that it was something that I never... uh, I didn't really think needed to be in the game uh also the voice acting was not great in some of this uh you have voice acting legends in here mark hamill is one that springs to mind you have leonard nimoy who is not traditionally known as a voice actor but has a very dis- distinguishable voice and as uh, an incredible actor in his own right and you kind of um i don't know how to say this you have to almost see it as those guys came in and were probably paid a lot more than uh the voice actors for say like Terra and aqua because the those voice actors for them were not great and i'm actually a big fan of willa holland uh she plays thea queen and arrow um she's uh, oliver queen's sister but she was not good in this game um i can't remember the name of the voice actor for tear off the top of my head but neither of them were very good a lot of them a lot of their lines they sounded bored or not really in it um and that doesn't really help that they were in there with jesse mccartney who surprisingly enough has become a very good voice actor in his own right um And He is part of that three-man team and he is the best voice actor out of the three of them and I really was put off at a lot of um, I want to say important story beats because the voice actors were not on top of things Um, And then my final negative is just repeated worlds. Uh, We didn't really see any new worlds in this game with the exception of uh the land of departure and the badlands uh most of the worlds even though they were kind of given a new coat of paint and at least in neverland's case who actually got to be on neverland um they were a lot of the same their previous worlds that we had seen that we were just seeing through the eyes of different characters so um but even with that we did get new worlds. Uh, We got Dwarf Woodlands, we got Castle of Dreams, we got Enchanted Dominion. So it did come up with worlds. It was kind of like a half-and-half kind of deal. But um, now for the positives, and I am super excited about these positives. Uh, Different play styles. You get three different characters to play with. Each of them has a strength. Each of them has kind of a weakness. Um, Aqua is an amazing spellcaster, but she is not really good at... In one on one confrontations, Terra is a tank, but his movement ability is absolute crap, and his spells are not great either. Uh, Ven, super quick, but he's a glass cannon. You attack him a couple times, and he falls very quickly. So you had to adapt with each of their play styles as you played through the game, and you had to find out what works for them. And one, what works for one character is not going to work for another character, and that evolves the gameplay, as we were talking about before. Uh, also, the Keyblades. The keyblades here were fantastic. I loved all the designs of them. Uh, of course, I ended up sticking with the final, uh, Keyblade, I guess, evolutions of their original Keyblades in the game, uh, the Rainfall Keyblade, the Ends of the Earth Keyblade, what have you. I, uh, but I thought these Keyblades felt like they were of an older time. They felt like they were almost out of date. And I liked that aspect of it because this game is taking place 10 years before the first game. Also, big thing for me, and one of the things that really clinched the win for this game... No gummy ships. No gummy ships whatsoever. No gummy ship missions. You just you have a world map. You go from one world to the next world, and you're there. Um, I love that, and I <laughs> I wish they had stuck with that for for Kingdom Hearts three. But of course, since all of the other two main games have had the gummy ships before, of course this has to follow suit. But I really enjoyed the lack of gummy ships in this game uh shot locks were also fantastic uh shot locks basically you get this uh you activate the ability you have a limited time to lock onto as many targets as possible and then you unleash hell so i really enjoyed the addition of shot locks i'm glad that that's something they're carrying over to kingdom Hearts 3 and it was something that i loved seeing again in kingdom arts 0.2 um expanded lore again we talked about this before um expanded lore is a huge deal for me uh this is a game that you can get lost in it at times but you also see that it comes down to a very basic setup three friends are trying to save the world and i really enjoyed that the uh the unversed i think were unnecessary but i understand that you had to make mob enemies before the heartless really even became a thing so i get it um also this is i I'm not positive, but I feel like this is the first instance of us of them talking about the Keyblade War. But I'm not totally sure on that. Um, Hamill and Nimoy, I think, were fantastic in their roles. We finally got the Star Trek Star Wars crossover that we've all always wanted, and they took possibly the best candidates of both sides and put them together. Uh, Hamill is fantastic as Master Ericus, and Leonard Nimoy is a strikingly cold Master Xehanort who definitely comes off as a man with a plan and I am very sad that the late Leonard Nimoy will not be part of Kingdom Hearts 3 getting to see to fruition the uh, story that he really kind of kicked off uh, chronologic, chronologically so um, I'm really sad about that but another thing another i guess sad aspect is the tragedy of the story uh i said earlier i'm a sucker for tragic stories and this is as tragic a story as they come uh three keyblade masters who are destined to fall apart before the events of the first game and all of their stories play out really well um also we talked a little bit about it new gameplay new gameplay when it comes to shot locks when it comes to the command board when it comes to no gummy ships new gameplay also comes with the um the command list instead of having your um really having like free reign over your abilities and stuff uh your commands are part of your combat so you essentially build your deck kind of like you did with um Chain of Memories, but in a more concise and truncated way, and it basically gets you uh, again, a hand that you can play different cards on. It's not really cards, but they're commands that you can use to win the day. Um, It also really... It introduced us to one of the best characters in the series, uh, which is Aqua. Aqua is fantastic. She is the true Keyblade Master of the series, and she is someone who uh, was a welcome addition where we hadn't really had any strong female characters in the series. Um, Naminé and Kairi really kind of fall into the damsel in distress aspect of it, and I really loved seeing Aqua just kick so much ass, and I'm really excited to see what actually becomes of her in the rest of the game. Uh, Talking about this being a prequel, past events, um, I'm always a sucker for prequel stories along with tragic stories, and this was a perfect blend of the two. Uh, Getting to see where things lay before, uh, obviously, this climactic story happens, and then getting to start, uh, or rather end the game, where the first game starts, with the worlds kind of scattered and no Keyblade wielders in sight, really was a great story moment and i really enjoyed getting to see that another aspect i really enjoyed getting to see um mickey mouse <laughs> the the point that is shared between uh number one and number two on our podcast list is uh, is mickey mouse he is in training at this point he's merely a keyblade apprentice not yet a keyblade master And you get to see him bop around the Kingdom Hearts worlds using the Star Shard. He's never sure where it's going to take him. He always shows up just in the nick of time. And I really liked seeing Keyblade trainee Mickey kind of getting himself... Kind of figuring out his bearings before he becomes that bona fide Keyblade Master that he is in Kingdom Hearts 2 and beyond. Um, Also, the secret bosses in this game were fantastic. They were great. I really enjoyed them. I thought they were... uh, hard as hell, like difficult as hell to play against. But getting to fight uh, Master Ericus, getting to fight Master xehanort getting to fight Monstro of all people, uh, getting to fight Vanitas, the Venitas remnant, and then ultimately you go up against a young xehanort before we even knew the time travel stuff was going on. Uh the young xehanort battle in that is one of the most difficult that I've ever experienced. So I was Really, really impressed by the offerings when it comes to secret bosses here. And then, of course, the Keyblade Graveyard. Uh, Just that whole set piece is gorgeous. You got to see the actual, uh, you got to live out the secret ending to Kingdom Hearts 2, which was one of my favorite aspects of that game. And I really just enjoyed getting to play through that sequence of events. And that map is, of course, beautiful. And I'm super excited we get to go back there for Kingdom Hearts 3. But um, yeah, that just, it's all of those factors and more really, uh, I guess, factor into why Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, in my opinion, in my subjective opinion, is the best Kingdom Hearts game in the series before Kingdom Hearts 3. And that is going to do it for our list, our countdown. Um, Again, we are, as of recording right now, we are mere hours away from the release of Kingdom Hearts 3. When this goes up on Wednesday, I will have already been just completely um, encapsulated. Not encapsulated, what's the word I'm looking for? Enraptured. (laughs) By <laughs> um, by this game, I will probably have not left the house in forty-eight hours. So, uh, if anyone is worried about me, just know that is what I'm going to be doing. But um, yeah, that does it for the countdown. Again, did you like my picks? Were my picks totally off? Um, if you uh, disagreed with any of my picks, or if you wanted to share your list with me on how you would rank the Kingdom Hearts game, feel free to reach out at Geek Explained Pod on Twitter. That's at Geek Explained P O D. Uh, also, you feel free to send me emails because I'm an old man, I still read emails. You can send any and all emails to geekexplained at gmail.com. Now, uh, next week is going to be the first week in a very long while that I haven't done a uh, Kingdom Hearts episode, so it's going to be a little weird, but i'm excited to kind of get back into the swing of doing uh kind of true blue uh explained episodes i'm not sure exactly what uh, next week's episode is going to be about but uh we are also going to be gearing up towards the release of avengers endgame pretty soon here and um We've got quite a few good movies coming out this year. So look forward to all that. Look forward to uh, the rest of our offerings this year. And uh, make sure you stay tuned after the jump for this week's Comics Countdown. And we will see you next time. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of the podcast where I talk about... Uh, what books I'm going to be picking up on this week's uh, new comic book day and the books that I think you should be picking up whether it's through your local comic book shop whether you uh, Get it online whether you get it through an app uh, Comicsology or another. these comics are the ones that I think you should definitely take some time out to pick up and read um, Typically, it's five maybe more probably more uh, comics that I think you should be uh, definitely checking out. Uh, this week we are stacked. We've got seven comics for you uh, that I think you should definitely pick up. Um, Marvel and DC have been, you know, doing their best. have been uh, really coming out strong in the new year. and I've been really enjoying uh, the comics that have been coming out recently. Uh, recently, unfortunately, DC has been kind of falling behind when it comes to uh, my personal picks. But uh, they are making a strong comeback this week with three out of the four, uh, or three out of the seven picks uh, being DC, four picks, of course, being Marvel. So we will go ahead and jump into them. Uh, I will, of course, be giving you the title, the uh, creative team, as well as a brief synopsis using my uh, synopsis voices. And if you have a synopsis voice that you think I should try out for a synopsis, feel free to uh, suggest one on Twitter or through email. Uh, First of all, we are kicking it off with West Coast Avengers number seven, uh, written by Kelly Thompson with art by Danielle Wolo, as well as Edward Petrovich and uh, cover by Stefano Caselli. So I've really been loving this series so far. It's wacky, it's out there, and it's in L.A., so there's nothing, absolutely no reason not to love it. Uh, it's been really good so far, and they just recently, in the past, uh, this past issue, number six, uh, reintroduced Novar, Marvel Boy, so I'm interested to see where he goes. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Novar, no way. Marvel Boy is back, and the timing couldn't be worse for Kate Bishop. Her relationship with Fuse is looking shaky, and the last thing she wants is her very hot ex hanging around. Not to mention Kate's former young Avengers teammate has brought a mountain of trouble to the West Coast. Can Kate clean up after Novar while keeping him far away from her love life? Read on, true believers. So, yeah, um, one of the aspects I like about Kate Bishop is she uh, she fulfills a lot of uh, Nightwing roles, in that she has kind of a lengthy romantic background and it always comes back to bite her. And Novar is a very interesting character, so I'm interested to see where this goes and how he fits into the overarching West Coast Avengers story. Uh, Next up we have flash annual number two Um, picking this over the uh, flash number 63 this week because uh, This seems to have a little bit more importance to the overall DC stuff going on right now Um, This is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Scott Collins. I'm really excited to see this Uh, This is going to be reintroducing not only Godspeed, but also Bart Allen, uh, who has made his return alongside his teammates in Young Justice as well. So, um, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Heroes in Crisis tie-in. In Barry's grief and guilt following Wally West's death at Sanctuary, he refuses to divulge the heartbreaking news to the rest of the Flash family until he searched every corner of the globe for his former partner, including inside the Speed Force itself. But, his journey into the heart of all speedster powers inadvertently triggers the release of his long-lost ally, Godspeed. And when Godspeed immediately races off to attack Kid Flash Wallace West, Barry must hunt his former friend and check in on his fellow speedsters. What is Godspeed planning, and what does he want with the rest of the Flash family? Can Barry protect everyone after he couldn't save Wally? With a heart-wrenching appearance from Wally's former sidekick, the recently returned Bart Allen, this annual is an absolute can't miss for all Flash fans. So yeah, uh, a lot of stuff is happening in this book, so definitely pick this up. This is going to be very important going forward. Uh, another book that I definitely think you should pick up is Captain America number 7, uh, written by Ta-Nehisi Coates with art by Adam Kubert and Lenal Francis Yu and, of course, covers by the imm- immaculate Alex Ross. Um... Captain America has been really good. Uh, It's giving me a lot of uh, Ed Brubaker vibes with the uh, Winter Soldier stuff, all of that. A lot of uh, government intrigue, a lot of uh, political thriller aspects to it. And uh, in the last issue, General Ross, a longtime mainstay of Marvel Comics, was killed. And it looks like Captain America is going to be kind of framed for it. So, um, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Fugitive begins here Superstar artist Adam Kubert Joins ta Coates For the next dramatic development In the life of Marvel's Soldier Supreme Captain America Wanted for murder And the victim is a familiar face In the Marvel Universe How? Why? You'll have to read to find out So yeah Um captain america going on the run from the military and the u.s government has kind of been a thing in the mcu recently and it looks like the comics are following suit i've been really enjoying Coates' captain america run so far and i'm looking forward to see where it goes from here next up we have detective comics number 997 in the countdown to 1000 uh this is written by peter j tomasi with art by doug monkey uh i've been loving it so far and this book promises to uh it looks like delve a little bit into mr miracle and the uh the fourth world if the cover is anything to go by so uh let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here there's no man on earth more convinced that he knows what makes Batman tick than Dr. Hugo Strange which makes him a natural target for the thing that's hunting Batman unless Batman gets there first so yeah uh we're still not completely totally sure what this thing is that's hunting down all of the people closely connected to Batman but I'm really excited to find out what's going on um tomasi is incredible uh monkey's art is a perfect fit for detective comics and the story that they're telling and i really have been enjoying it and i think you're gonna enjoy it too uh next up we have dead man logan number three uh i was encouraged by um good friend of mine malcolm uh from the heroes and villains comic book shop in tucson shout out to them uh for picking up uh dead man logan because they said they uh there's a lot of good stuff that could come of it um it's an amazing story and kind of the wrap-up for that character which i am a huge fan of that character uh it's written by ed brisson with art by mike henderson and covers by declan Shalvey. love declan Shalvey. i love declan Shalvey drawing wolverine so i am definitely in for this book uh this is kind of leading up to uh the death of dead man logan or of old man logan <laughs> uh pardon me because it's uh leading up the whole title of the series is dead man logan uh it's a limited maxi series so it's 12 issues this is issue number three of 12 and uh yeah the most recent issue had him running up against the avengers so we're gonna see uh what happens here and uh let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here death pays all debts Mysterio means to set in motion the massacre at the crux of Old Man Logan's apocalyptic future timeline. But who was pulling the strings? The Master of Illusion's newest benefactors will surprise you. Parental advisory. So yeah, um, this issue is going to be all about Old Man Logan going against the Avengers and the furthering of the possibility of his timeline beginning. So, yeah, lots of high stakes, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Next up, we have Heroes in Crisis number five. We are officially at the halfway point of this series, uh, written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. Um, I have been loving the art of this book. I have been um, cautiously optimistic of the writing of this book. Tom King has been uh, under a lot of fire recently for this, among a lot of other books. So I'm uh, I'm interested to see what happens, but I'm also starting to get really worried that they're trying to set up Wally West as the uh, killer in this Sanctuary Massacre. Um, I'm not totally convinced that everyone who is who was killed in this book has been for real killed, so I'm crossing my fingers that Wally and Roy made it out alive. Um, yeah, we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. The secrets of the DC universe are hacked. Sanctuary wasn't supposed to keep records, but now that the AI is compromised, superhero secrets are leaking all over the net. Booster and Harley set aside their differences to focus on who they believe is the real killer, assuming one of them isn't lying, that is. Meanwhile, Batman and the Flash continue to investigate the mysterious murderer. The answer can be found in Sanctuary, but is it safe to go digging in the crime scene? So yeah, uh, this book has been going through a lot, um, both uh, in canon and outside of canon. So I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm really, um, I'm not sure what to make of this series still, even five issues in. But um, I will definitely keep you guys posted. And um, I'm excited to see what happens next to the story. And finally, we have the conclusion of a miniseries at Marvel. This is Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary, number six of six, uh, written by Donny Cates with art by Jim, Kim Jacinto, Jeff Shaw, Vida Ala- Ay- Ay- Ayala? Ayala, sorry. and uh, joshua cassara so i am i've loved this series from the first issue all the way up to here um i've been telling you guys it's basically marvel's flashpoint and it's focused on the very street level characters that were the focus of the marvel knights relaunch back in the 90s that being um daredevil black panther punisher elektra those (laughs) characters who are on the street level and kind of you know humans walking on gods most of the time so i've been really enjoying this i'm interested to see how this all wraps up uh we've been getting a lot of hints on what's going to happen on the uh, true identity of the person behind this so we'll go ahead and jump into the synopsis here the truth comes out the secret is revealed a secret that may shatter the very foundations of the marvel universe yeah short and sweet to the point um this is uh promising the conclusion of this i'm interested to see if this actually ends up do, if this does actually end up having any kind of ramifications for uh the greater marvel universe when it comes to the comics or if this is going to be just you know one of those self-contained stories but uh yeah the series has been great so far if you haven't picked up the other issues of the series do yourself a favor go pick those up and then also pick this up on wednesday And that is going to do it for this week's comics countdown Uh, to recap here we have detective comics number 997 um, flash annual number 2 Deadman Logan number 3 West Coast Avengers number 7 Captain America number 7 Heroes in Crisis number 5 and Marvel Knights 20th anniversary number 6 if I missed any books if you have books that you think I should check out, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Pod. that's at P-O-D. Uh that's going to do it for this week um, I am super excited to play Kingdom Hearts 3, that is what I'm going to be doing for uh, the foreseeable future, for the rest of this week at least um, and I'm excited to kind of share in that release and that um, that just culmination of 13 years of waiting with you guys so so, have a wonderful rest of your week. Uh, we will see you right back here, same geek time, same geek channel. And for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. How did I live in a kingdom of bees and people who said? Things they don't really mean, really mean. Oh, you're only everything I ever dreamed, ever dreamed of. Ever.